Welcome to Consulting Mastery, where we help B2B consultants master the business of consulting. I'm Carrie. And I'm Ahmed. Join us as we explore the art of delivering outstanding client value, earning a higher income, and thriving in today's marketplace. Welcome back to the show, folks. want to talk today about getting paid what you're worth, or maybe getting paid more than you're worth. <laughs> more than you think you're worth. You think you're worth and really raising your sense of worth in a consulting professional services context and getting paid accordingly. All that and more coming up. If you are looking for help with marketing, business development, positioning, getting paid what you're worth, we have a fantastic training program called the 90 day pipeline, which may be able to help you. If you want to learn more about that, chat with our team, see if it's a fit, go to 90 daypipelinecom forward slash talk. Carrie, we keep bumping into this question. It's been, it's been a minute, you know, five years later and you know, a thousand consultants later. And I think we picked up on a bit of a trend. We have What's the trend. The trend is people being so, so, so sure that what they have to offer isn't something that people are going to pay for or isn't something that people are going to pay enough for. And it's, it's fascinating to me because the level of conviction that they come to those conversations with makes it seem like somewhere there is, in fact, like encyclopedia of rates to be charged that they have gone. It's not, there's a Kelly blue book of consulting fees. Absolutely. Absolutely. They've gone, they've looked at it. They've, you know, determined exactly how much per hour, which is a whole other challenge they are going to be able to charge in the market. And it is astounding how difficult it is to get people to move away from what honestly is a number that they've just made up in their head. And they come to us and they say, well, how can I possibly charge more for my services than the Kelly Blue Book value mm-hmm. of this particular type of consulting service? The fake made up Kelly Blue Book value. Let's just, again, be very clear about that. Yes, yes. And then what happens is one day they will enter into a conversation with us and they'll say, oh my God, you would not believe just what, what just happened. Oh, interesting. What just happened? I just got paid twice as much as I've ever been paid before. Amazing. And we try not to say something like, yeah, that's the thing we've been telling you for months, <laughs> but. No, I it, say that. I say that. All it, the time. You do say, you do like say I that. But, this, but exactly. But what is the result of that is that now everything changes, right? And now that that, that fake ceiling has been removed, now all the possibilities open up to them. Now they can see a different future. Now they can see a different price. Now they can see a lot of different things. But the the process to go through that is always a fascinating one to watch. So let's talk about it a bit more today so that the folks listening maybe don't have to, to suffer for the same length of time as others have. Well, and let, let's start by talking about why it's so ridiculous to think that there is some, you know, secret Kelly Blue Book that's not just a Canadian thing, right? That's that's an American thing too. I think, I think so. Just so, just in case, this is a very. Sometimes we can, we are guilty of making very Canadian references that that other folks don't understand. And even if it is an American thing, probably not a European thing. So let's define that. 
Kelly Blue Book is a uh, it's a, a published list of uh, uh, or inventory, if you will, of used car values. So if you're selling a 2020 Honda Accord uh, with a certain amount of mileage on it, you can look up the Kelly Blue Book value. This is what the car is worth. Okay, and so obviously for a car, which is a commodity you wouldn't want to pay more than the Kelly Blue Book value unless there's some kind of constraint or scarcity, et cetera. So first of all, there is no such list. <laughs> there is no such rate card, right? There is no such reference point by which and with which and from which to compare your consulting fees. So the very notion of well, how can I charge more? How can I charge a premium? How can I charge this much money? Is kind of a flawed question. Because why can't you? What's stopping you from doing so? Who's preventing you? Who is the authority? And, you know, granted, consulting is not a very regulated industry, right? There's no government authority that is, uh, you know, otherwise enforcing you uh, in to, to charge a certain fee or to only charge so much and so on and so forth. So the question is, why can't you? Who's stopping you? Besides what's between your ears. Because <laughs> that's what it that's is, right? Yeah, and, and people often come to that number, whatever that number is. And it, it's, it also is fascinating because it often ends up around the same number. And I think it comes, especially with the folks that we work who, with who are often coming from a corporate gig, right? They're coming from a place of employment. And so they've gone through some calculations on their way to entrepreneurship, right? On their way to starting their consultancy, where they have determined how much money they need to make, right? Or they want to make. It's often anchored in what they were making before they left corporate. And they may, you know, put a little premium on that. And that number gets so ingrained that they then, once they've settled that number, kind of back up from it, and that's how they're setting their pricing. And what we know is that has absolutely zero to do with what the thing that you are providing, the, the solution that you're taking out into the world, how that is valued to the prospects or the clients that you're working with. But it's worth, if you are listening to this conversation, asking yourself the question, how did I get to that number? Why do I think this is what I can charge? What makes me think that that's the accurate number? And my guess will be that you have done some kind of bottom-up build, whether it's this, how much, this is how much I used to charge or used to make. This is how much I think I can charge per hour. You know, I have a friend who maybe did one job like this a long time ago, and this is what they said. My guess would be that it has very little to do with what the market is interested in or will bear. Well, I think even in the framing of this episode, there's a bit of a flaw because we started off talking about charging what you're worth <laughs> and knowing what you're worth. And actually what you're worth is irrelevant. <laughs> it's not about you, right? Clients don't pay you what you're worth. <laughs> they pay you what the work is worth to them in terms of results and value. So let's, let's go back to my used car analogy. Okay. Um, I 
bought a car, it was a couple of years old, a few months ago, I've been racking up the kilometers or the miles, whatever you want to call them, right? And I'm like, ah, I can't keep this up, right? Like before long, this car is gonna be really old. And so I've got to make a decision, not now, but at some point in the near future, you know, do I sell it before it hits a certain threshold in terms of mileage or do I just keep it, okay? This happens to be one of these cars that has a, you know, a, a, a bit of a fanatical fan base, right? People like to collect them. Okay. My point in telling you the story is that if I decide to keep this car for 20 years, okay, the average person, the average buyer may only be willing to pay the Kelly blue book value, what the cars were on paper. If they have no real affinity for the car, no interest in it, it's just a car takes them from point A to point B. They're going to pay the Kelly blue book value in 20 years, but a collector is going to pay five, 10, 20 times the Kelly Blue Book value. It's the same car. It's going to be worth different prices. It's going to have different value to different people. Right? So not only do I think people get tripped up to your point about quantifying the value of their service based on some irrelevant experience in corporate or what they, or what they want to make or what their desired income is, which is completely irrelevant. But also they, they, they let the, the, the value that perhaps the wrong clients assigned to their service be the value of the service. Mm-hmm. What I'm trying to make here to folks is your service is not worth the same to every client. It's going to be more valuable to certain clients because the impact and the results and the value that's created is going to be more significant for some clients more than others. And as a point of business strategy, positioning, if you want to call it, you ought to be focused on serving the clients for whom your service has the most value and therefore carries the highest price point. And that's what makes it difficult because what we know about most people when they're starting out is that they will tend to work for whomever is going to engage them, right? And that's perfectly legitimate. You should, right? You know, this is how, what you're doing, your market research, you're understanding who you do and don't want to work with. For those first few clients, broadening the, the scope is not necessarily a terrible thing. It becomes a terrible thing, though, when you let that inform everything that comes afterwards. And it's partially about the price you set. And I want to highlight one of the things you said, which is more about who it is that you're talking to. Because if you're talking to the wrong people over and over again, you are going to feel that what you're offering is worth less and less, right? They're going to say no. They're going to debate you. They're going to argue. They're going to tell you that that's not the kind of money that would be on the table for your offering and you will start to believe it. Whereas speaking to the right people, the people for whom your solution is, you know, not just a good fit, but critical, right? The people who need it, the people who are lying awake at night because they cannot solve a problem and you have the solution for it. Those people are going to, have a different conversation with you and therefore leave your headspace, you know, in a very different state than it was. Yeah. Let's use a simple example. Uh, let's say, uh, I am a, uh, customer attention 
expert and consultant in the B2B SaaS industry, software as a service. And I can go into pretty much any B2B SaaS organization and I can help them improve their retention and reduce churn and therefore increase customer lifetime value. Okay. Well, how much is an organization that's doing, let's say a million dollars a year and maybe churning two to 3% of their customer base going to pay me? Well, you can do the math on that, right? What's, what's Mm -hmm. 3% of a million? 30 grand. Okay. (laughs) Good. I think so, something like that, right? 30% would be 300K. Yeah, so 30 grand, Mm -hmm. right? So they're churning about 30 grand a year. Okay, well, probably not going to pay you more than that, right? Your your fee is going to be anchored against the value that's created for the client. So even if you brought their, their churn down to zero, which is unlikely... They wouldn't pay you more than 30 grand because you just save them 30 grand per year. Sure. So you could argue, okay, but it's annualized and maybe they're yeah, fine, but you know, it's not going to be an astronomical amount mm-hmm. in the end. Now, if you're dealing with a hundred million dollar company, also with a 3% churn, who's now churning $300,000 a year at the same rate, different story. Now, is the work fundamentally different? Probably not. Turn is turn, right? The scale might be different, sure, right? But you go from solving a $30,000 problem to a $300,000 problem just by changing the client. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if you're somebody who, you know, you feel like you're just not able to charge the kind of fees that you want to be charging, then what I'd encourage you to look at, and this is not the only factor, but it's certainly one of the factors. What I encourage you to look at is, am I targeting clients for whom this is a very expensive problem? Because if the problem is expensive for the client, they expect the solution to be expensive because clients aren't, aren't dumb, right? <laughs> clients are, we should assume everyone's kind of smart and level-headed, right? If, if they think it's a fairly cheap problem, they're going to look for cheap solutions or no solutions at all. But if they believe it's an expensive problem, really costing them a lot, both in terms of money, frustration, time, energy, opportunity costs, et cetera, they're going to assume the solution's expensive. In fact, they're not going to look at cheap solutions because they won't believe that those work. They'll prefer the expensive solution. So that math makes perfect sense, right? You just took us through a very logical argument as right. to yeah. why this <laughs> why this is is. The, the important thing to think about. How do you then get past the purely internal feelings about this? Because I would suspect, and I would suspect, I know, right? When we have these conversations with people, we can walk through that discussion with them. They hear us, they understand, they totally get it. They advise their peers, right? <laughs> In exactly the same way as we're talking. And yet there is still something deep down inside that holds them back from going back to the, the initial conversation that we were having, feeling that they are worthy of the kind of price tag that we're talking about. So I think there's a couple of things, right? And, and one is a long, the first is a longer discussion that probably isn't for this podcast, but you need to understand where your doubt around your worthiness is coming from. Mm -hmm. It's different for everybody, right? 
It's going to be a product of your upbringing, what your parents taught you about money, what you learned in school, um, what you were told about your own self-worth. It's not just money. This is tied to self-worth. Um, and that's a very long discussion and probably not one that we're experts on, frankly, this is consulting mastery after all. Right. But, but I think that's the real work is to better understand for yourself where the doubt comes from, right? Where, why are you questioning your self-worth and, and then to, to start to get at the roots of that? That's one. The second is to just start to chip away at the amount to start to raise the floor, if you will. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I remember when we first launched 90 day pipeline, it was the price point was, you know, roughly 20% of what it is today. Yeah. Right. But we didn't go from you know that number and then five exit overnight. It was when I was initially doing the sales, it was, it was me just incrementally raising the fee getting comfortable saying the new number out loud <laughs> and being okay with it, which was a process. It took mm-hmm. me time every time we raised the price to get comfortable saying it out loud and believing in its value. And then people said, yes, deals closed, transactions were completed and value was created and customers were grateful. And then over time, I go, oh, It really was worth that much and then some and the price kept going up. Right. And so I think practically just start making sales and, and, and start incrementally raising that fee and raising that fee and raising that fee. And there's a discussion here around, you know, uh, the importance of marketing and lead generation, because the best way to raise your fees comfortably is to have a pipeline, right? If you're talking to, you know, one prospect in 30 days and you need the deal to close, you're not in any position, (laughs) to try to raise your fee or to play hardball with a client, right? You need to have leads and lead flow on a pipeline to have that confidence. But ultimately, once you have that, just start raising your fees and get comfortable. And I'll add a third, which is just look around because there are a lot of people out there with arguably less expertise, less capability, you know, less care for their clients charging higher amounts of money. And, you know, this is about optimizing, right? This is about finding the appropriate level where it's a win-win because that's the intention of all of this, right? But when you look around, if you connect with other people that are doing this kind of work, if you, you know, just pay attention to what's happening in the market, you will also see things that will, you know, help you realize that there are people out there playing what is a, a very different game than you are. Yeah, I almost took that for granted, but it's it's worth calling out, and I'm glad you did. Like you've got to fundamentally believe for the right client in the right situation who has a problem that you solve and they're a good fit to work with you. Like you've got to fundamentally believe that working with you is the very best option for them. You've got to believe that in order for them to believe it. And certainly they have to believe it to pay the premium, but they're not gonna believe it unless you believe it. And so take a good hard look at your offer. And take a good hard look at your competition, but not too much, like we talked about last time. Yeah. But take a good hard look at what they're doing. And if you look at that and you go, oh, they're way better than me and their offer is better and then they have more value, then yeah, you got a problem. You don't have a pricing problem. You have a confidence problem. Yes. You have an offer problem. 
Because you need to get to the point where you can look at your offer and your market and go for the right client. I don't know why they would go anywhere else. They would have to be crazy. And until you come to that level of belief, you're not going to charge very much. Fair enough. Fair enough. Folks, if you like what you hear on the show, go ahead and leave us a rating and a review on your favorite podcast platform. If you don't like what you hear, then don't leave us a review. Just kidding. Um, but wherever that may be, Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, etc. We're on all the big platforms. And um, tune in next time.